When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> it would be a wolf, but eh? Hello and welcome to Wolves Fancast. My name is Matt Guy and if heaven is a half pipe, then I'm joined by Tony Hawk and Bam Margera with Andy and Stu. We'll let you decide which one is which. Uh, well, <laughs> thank I, you everybody I don't for want to be joining with us this evening. <laughs> well, hey, listen, it's all, all down to public uh, public sway of opinion. Um, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you to uh, Audi and to Boston Coffee Company for their support. And more importantly, thank you very much for joining us live and in colour on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. As always, if you want to get your comments in, please feel free to do so. We'll try and get as many in on the show as physically possible and react in live time to some of the stuff that you put out on the uh, on the comments here. So straight away, Mike Evans, the trio, the boys are back in town, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, gents, we're here to talk about Wolves' away victory to Bournemouth. Uh, Stu, you said that you were, were broken after this uh, trip. <laughs> Was it more of a, an, an alcoholic uh, reason or uh, just because of the relentless travel with it? Yeah, the, I mean, the travel was it was amazingly fine yesterday. Um, it was very, uh, very dicey in to tones after the after the couch journey back, though, um, mainly alcohol induced. Um, when I when I totaled it up on the old NatWest calculator of outgoings, it was around about seven or eight points ish um, before the game. So mm. we enjoyed ourselves, but there, there was no traffic. So what are you going to do? You ain't going to sit there and stand around, are you? So drinking is oh, good. Absolutely. Andy, from your point of view, you know, we didn't go to the game, watched it via means. Um, when it's an away game, obviously it's a different, it's a different set of circumstances. It's different traditions. You can pretty much get away with just turning up five minutes before if you wanted to, um, to watch. Do you have any kind of different kind of, rituals or things that you like to do in an away game if you're not going to go to it not particularly i like to try and get up early and if i need to pop into wolverhampton and do some bits that's pretty much all i do like i try and do the bare minimum so i'm back in time ready for kickoff unfortunately yesterday i spent like three hours in the hospital which was a great start to a saturday but mm. you know can't be helped no absolutely absolutely um so as i said we're here to discuss um the victory uh, against Bournemouth. Do you want to mention um, very briefly, obviously the footballing world is very saddened by the death of uh, Sir Bobby Charlton. Um, Stu, from your point of view, you know, he's known as the gentleman of the game. It's very sad for, you know, English football, yes, but world football also. Yeah. And I was proper gutted, you know, when that, when that came through yesterday before kickoff. Um, normally with these things, you think, oh, okay. But he was one of them where... Even though obviously we are too young to have seen him play, other than on video, um, he was one of them people. And like there was an, I think it was in the Mirror. There was a great article today. I read that it wasn't just football, like you said. It was because he was a gentleman and a proper English gent. And English football dies a little bit <laughs> with his passing because you don't get many good people, well, truly good people in football who have the talent to back it up either. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really sad. I mean, yeah, obviously his age, you're kind of expecting this to happen sooner rather than later, but 
you always see him at Old Trafford, don't you? And he does really, the Man United thing doesn't matter, does it? It's it's an England thing, and like you said, it's a worldwide football thing. And yeah, we've we've lost one of the good ones, and it's a shame. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. From your point of view, obviously, you know we're all too young to have seen him play in his pomp and everything like that. But it, when when these kind of deaths happen in football, it it does make you you know think about the personalities that are coming in like nowadays and who will be the legends going forward. But it, it really feels like we've you know, with Pele and Bobby Charlton and, and you know, like Maradona and some of the other people that have uh, sadly left over the last couple of years. Football's in a bit of a weird place, isn't it, where, you know, no more heroes anymore, to to quote the Stranglers, I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the term, you know, the last of a dying breed never feels more apt than it has done over the last few years, especially in the football world. I think ever since Sir Bobby Robson sort of left this mortal coil, mm. it's been a, a slow sort of plod towards, yeah, that generation of players just no longer being with us. And it, it's very sad because, as you say, there aren't many people like him going mm. around. So it's it, it does leave the whole footballing world with it, something of a scar. Mm, absolutely well put well you know only slightly less iconic is this uh wolves team under gary o'neill and uh we're here to talk about uh wolves versus bournemouth of course uh thanks to everybody that's uh already joining in uh on the comments already peter yam yam 54 quick with the uh only moan was why we don't play in all gold hate the blue red away kits um, no. oh you please take <laughs> i don't have a problem with it because obviously the modern world and all this stuff and in an ideal world we shouldn't have to have an away kit at all this year um but if they are going to commercialize it like they are just let people know i've said this before I mean, <laughs> the premier league normally put that thing that graphic out on a friday afternoon that what teams are playing in what kit and i did see a few people in blue yesterday um it's just a a, a strange annoyance of mine that i know there's probably me and alex Moore who care <laughs> about this stuff um but well, the, the club have done it occasionally where they said, yeah, we're playing in this colour tomorrow and all this stuff. But if you are going to do it like this and you, when you put the graphic out in there before kickoff with, with everyone in blue, and you think, well, okay, give people a bit of notice. You want a bit of colour in the stands, a bit of, bit of self-promotion. Just get it done that way. Everyone wins. Otherwise, you, it is annoying. Are you concerned that your opportunity for Gary O'Neill to look up at the stands and go, right, you're on, is... Slightly <laughs> diminished because you're not wearing the right kit that they're playing in at the time. Is that the problem? I think the fact that people can't see me below the nipple down is a, is a good thing from that point of view because <laughs> this body doesn't run anymore. I, I saw I saw the pain of your latest injury or last injury uh, only <laughs> only too well. Um, speaking of changes, um, as you mentioned in the uh, the lineup and the away kit there. Uh, Docking for Nelson, uh, Bubakar Traore in for Lamina after his uh, after his marching orders, and um, Bellegarde picked up a slight muscle injury. I think it was described as uh, so he didn't make even the bench in this scenario. But for all intents and purposes, looking at that back five or back three, depending on how you view the world, um, Andy. Coming against a team like Bournemouth, with all due respect and all the pleasantries, et cetera, et cetera, it, uh, Man City, yes. Villa, yes. Did you expect to stick with three centre-backs in this fixture? Or did you think we'd go back to a more potential attacking formation and try and get at them? I wasn't sure, pretty much, purely because why would you change a winning formation? Like, mm -hmm. well, we're not necessarily winning, obviously, we do against Villa, but that formation has served us quite well over the last few weeks. So it makes sense to try and stick with it. I did feel like, actually, it was quite fluid at times because it did feel like, obviously, we've seen Toshi play at left-back a few times and it did look like he'd sort of moved over a little bit to allow Aitnuri to move forward. So that formation, I do think, gives us a little bit of fluidity. So depending on how the opposition line up, we can sort of pick and choose the moments when we implement a back three or a back four. So I think pretty much I was sort of OK with that lineup as it was, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Stu, from your point of view, the midfield, um, obviously Bibacar, Traore in. Um, it was a shame that we didn't get to see uh, Bellegarde play after, you know, his cameo appearances so far. There's clearly a player there, very tenacious as well. 
the midfield and the and the front attacking players do they do they pick themselves at this point with a kind of injuries and uh, disciplinary issues aplenty? Yeah, I think it w- it was kind of it was interesting because that was the conundrum, wasn't it? Do you bring Belagard straight back in? We haven't seen him in the midfield too yet. Uh, we know that Bukar Tro- can play that way because he's done it before. Um, so it's always one of them that as soon as the injury came through, the, the news came through about his injury, you think, well, okay, well, it's a no brainer. Then you're not going to, he's not going to play Tommy Doyle there from the start. He's, he's had one Carabao Cup game and that's it, really, mm-hmm. for, for us to see what he does. And he didn't really excel in that, but no one did, did they? Um, so I think just going with that a midfield two like that was kind of Ren Pegs and Ren Holds for a change. And and he said, I, I don't see as a negative having a back five. It, it is more of a back three with how how far up the wing backs push for us. So mm. I've, look at the amount of chances we created again yesterday. We create equally as many chances with a back three as we did with a back four anyway over the last two mm-hmm. years. It just doesn't work for us. So I was more than happy. I'm more than happy to play with a back five forever with, with this group of players, just because then they're more comfortable doing it, and you can see they're more comfortable because they're more mm. likely to try things. And when you've got a midfield two that can hold like them two, well, in theory, um, I was more than happy with it. Mm. If there's any uh, disagreement in the comments about uh, whether we should revert back to like two centre backs or three centre backs, state your case, and we will judge you accordingly uh, based on. <laughs> How ludicrous your argument is. Um, so the game progressed um, in the early goings. Um, for the purpose of those that are listening and not watching, we've got a momentum chart um, up at the moment. And the first kind of 10 minutes or so, um, at least according to the statistics, was going in the way of the home team, Bournemouth. Um, not creating really clear-cut chances, I don't think. But Andy, how did you see the start of the game panning out? Did you think to yourself... We've got a potential looting on our hands here, a team that might not be high in confidence, but, uh, you know, are at home, are going to be mm. dogged, dark arts FC, if you want to call it that. How did you feel the the game kind of started for you? Yeah, I think that that's, you hit the nail on the head there. They've got their former manager coming back to their home ground. They're obviously going to be up for the match. We have started a bit sluggishly more often than not so far this season. And I think when you look, we've got Doherty making his first start in the Premier League, I believe, this season for us. Down for Bubakar Traore. Um, you know, it was just, we had a couple of players who were just sort of bedding in. And yeah, the, the tide was against us immediately. I felt a few passes were going astray and we just couldn't quite get to grips with how things were going early doors. And when did they actually score their goal? Because it felt like it was actually quite early when their momentum was in full swing, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, so, it, was, it, it was in the 17th minute. Yeah. Um, so that graphic really kind of sums up how the game kind of started. And uh, Stu, from your point of view, really sloppy goal to concede. The width that they were given um, was crazy, really, considering how you'd like to think there are some level-headed players there and, and experienced players, especially with players like Doherty playing. The goal was really, really poor, though, wasn't it, to concede? Yeah, and I mean, can we just clarify, is that a Christmas mug, Andy? Because it very much looked like a Christmas mug. No, no, it, it's it's Moana. Oh, that's obviously. Okay. Yeah. Just, 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 <laughs> Too early for Christmas, Jim. Yeah, just in case, in, in case people <laughs> were wondering and they were asking in the comments, I'm just saved. Um, yeah, from, from what I said about the, the solidity, um, it, they were ripped apart. <laughs> I mean, Totti, although well, Sean Crow, um, awful defending by Totti. It was like there was, it was like a training ground where you're just standing there as mannequins and being passed through. I mean, fair play, it was a good finish, and Kilman couldn't really do much with that. I think he was, it was just a decent finish by um, our old nemesis there. But yeah, you've got to be doing better. You've got to be closing them down quicker than that. And it was it. Other than the Neto one against the bar, it was just a. Oh no, we've seen this all before. <laughs> Small team. Um, even though you're away from home, you you're naturally gonna sit off to start with anyway and then run the cells into the ground in theory. But against a team like Bournemouth, you don't expect it to happen so much. Mm-hmm. And that ease with with just they just carved through midfield was just piss poor. Um I know we, we've just mentioned Totti, but you've got to cut it out at the source. 
and there was about four chances to do that, and none of them even come close. Mm. Bit of a running theme in the midfield sometimes, I think, in, in this current team, is we don't seem very quick to commit in the middle of the park and allow no. kind of players to stroll through like at ease, but one for um one for Gary O'Neill to uh, to address really. I mean the, the first half by the tail of the tape numbers wise, you know, Wolves if XG is your thing, you know, had higher 0.59, had more possession, uh, had more goal attempts, more corners. You know, Wolves on paper, football is not played on paper. But um, we're having the better going of the half. But Andy, I certainly felt at half time that I don't, I couldn't think how we're going to get into this game. It just felt like it was a, a lack of mm. idea, creativity. It felt very much like, do we know what we want to do to break down this team? And I wasn't sure that we did. Yeah, exactly right there, Matt. It it felt like we got about twenty yards out and we just hit a brick wall time and time again. We had no. No clue what we were doing as soon as we got anywhere near their box. And it looked like it was going to have to be something spectacular because our better opportunities seemed to come from distance. And, you know, that I should say that in inverted comments because I don't feel like we had any particularly good ones other than Neto hitting the bar, mm -hmm. which, to be honest, felt a little bit hit and hope when he did it. So it looked like it was going to be a bit of a, a rerun of the game we had against them at home last season where they're going to get one chance, one goal, and we're just not going to be able to put things together at the other end. That yeah. first half, the, the front three didn't click and it didn't look like they were ever going to click. So that half-time whistle couldn't have come soon enough, to be honest. Mm. Mm. I mean, normally when um, when we do the pod, I like to do kind of player performances after the break, but I do want to, as we're talking about the first half, talk about, well, this would be the more Jekyll-like performance of... Mateus Cunha's Jekyll and Hyde performance <laughs> during the first half. Twitter was awash with uh, criticism. There was a lot of his talk about body language being really negative, throwing his arms in the air and on the floor as per. How did you feel, you know, with Cunha? He was performing in the first half. Was it to your mightily high standards? I didn't. That's why when I, I saw all the uh, amazingly, I will say about the Vitality Stadium, it might be small. But it's not shit at all. There's loads of room in the concourse. Telly's everywhere. Decent beer prices. And you get signal. Mainly probably because there's only 11,000 you there. But you get signal. So I checked the chat, the, the group chat at halftime and all the slagging off of Cunha. I didn't see it. I didn't think he was that bad. And I thought it was just he was frustrated because he had no service again. He was, he was having to drop way too deep. And then when he was getting, he still couldn't get hold of it. He was going out wide and Doherty was in his way on the right. And it was just a farce all over the pitch. And Joe Gomez, I know I kind of attacked Blake for his Blake take about how bad he is. Um, but dear God, he was awful. Um, he was bad. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's because Lemine has been shepherding him through games or something like that. No idea. But he was very, very poor. And it was no surprise when he was yanked. Well, not like that, but when, when, he, when he was replaced. I mean, that might have cheered him up, but he was he was bad. And, and like we said, we, he, they were calling through the midfield over and, over and time and time again. It was just... Cunha was the least of everyone's problems, and I didn't understand that at all. Mm. In, from, from being there, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it was easy to be frustrated at that performance in the first half, to be fair. A game that I think... A lot of people were having decent hopes going into it after the City and Villa um, after the City and Villa games. Um, one of the things, speaking of um, not potentially living up to um, the hype, uh, Peter Yamyam fifty four. Well done at Compton Park, guys. <laughs> uh, to Wolves fancast. What I will say is we didn't finish last, and that's the most important thing here. But it always, of course, in. Uh, in uh, celebration of the uh, Wolves Content Creators Cup. Um, one of the uh, perks there of the Content Creators Cup is raising money um, for uh, charity for Wolves Foundation. And uh, hopefully the Just Giving page um, is still up and running where you can donate. And um, yeah, as I say, we didn't come last. So we didn't let you, uh, no one's hiding that we let you down again banner. <laughs> at any point i don't believe at least i hope not uh, but uh, if you still have the capacity to please um get your donations and it will be very very much appreciated um so the half rumbles on 
and uh, we get to the end of the half and Andy we're not football managers I wish we all thought we were did you feel like any changes were needed would you have made any changes we'll go on to what changes were made but did you feel at the time any changes needed to be made yeah absolutely uh, Stu hit the nail on the head um, Joe Gomez could not fucking hit a barn door with a pass like he was like everything you like about him he just wasn't doing against Bournemouth I didn't feel like he was har uh, harassing the players particularly effectively people was going through him quite easily his passing was just completely wayward something needed to change in the middle I did wonder whether or not he'd bring on Kalizic maybe go with a bit more direct possibly but for me the biggest issue was definitely in the middle of the park because yeah I feel like Joe Gomez he's had a couple of games where he's been slightly less than the pit bull that we know and love so I think that was the, the right call to take him off. Mm, fair enough. Um, Stu, you alluded to um, cameos from certain players and the Carabao Cup not being a shining example of some of the talent that we have in the ranks at Wolves. But Gary O'Neill went with Doyle at half-time, a half-time switch, um, giving minutes to uh, the young man. Um, almost instantly, it felt, a little different in the second half. He was given a bit of room to manoeuvre and play and, and and play some of the some nice flowing passes. What did you think when he came on and how he affected the game? It was like going from a Vauxhall Astra to a Rolls Royce. It was it, it was like you said, instant. And I as every single player on that pitch at Ipswich deserves slagging off and Gary O'Neill himself. Um I thought this kid's not ready. He's played in the championship. Yeah, we're playing against championship opposition, but there's something about it's not right. He's played in a three for last season. Can he do it in a two? Didn't see anything coming. Oh, there you are. Sean Crow. I didn't see those passes coming from anyone early. And he connected our lines perfectly well, perfectly summary there because no one else was playing in passes. And it's been a long time since maybe since Nevis um has played balls like that along the floor, not just not looping high crosses and, and crossfield passes and things like that through balls in the middle of the pitch. We haven't had that for a while. And he was just doing it with ease. And that's where that, that's where the equaliser came from because that's where we were lacking. And he, he likes to tackle as well. I didn't see that from him, really. He's, he's not the biggest. Um, but yeah, he, very, very impressive within minutes of coming on. Mm -hmm. These are the kind of performances, Andy, that when you you hear the hype and on the paper talk about players and, you know, everyone talks about how he was part of the uh, the cup winning team for England, etc. Um, that's going to be his tagline, like Max Kilman's futsal. That's all you're going to hear <laughs> whenever he you know, you know, appears on the pitch. But, you know, it's good to see that youth being given a chance. And what's also good, I thought, was that Gary O'Neill is willing to identify a problem and change it at halftime. Something that I think we all as fans would like to be, at CSB, a bit more proactive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, far too often we sort of wait for things to go badly wrong before trying to address anything. But at 1 0, we were still in the game and he was quite forthright in making those subs at, that make sub at halftime. And you could see immediately that there was a disconnect between the front half and the back half of our team. And Doyle came in and, as Sean pointed out, he connected it all. And he did because he's passing, whether it was side to side, the ball never stopped when it came to him. We've had other players throughout our history who like to put their foot on the ball and take a look around before making a pass. That wasn't with Doyle. He was moving it constantly, trying to open up gaps and everything. And it was such clever play from him in the build-up to the, the equaliser, as Stu said, that it was the pass before the pass. Mm -hmm. But it all stemmed from him. Like it, he was the positive of the game for me. It was too much. Yeah, it's too much negative. Not negative football. Negative football is quite harsh, I think, on them. But it was too much just waiting and reacting. But as soon as he came on, it was sort of more of a head down and let's move in the right direction. Mm. Um. Yeah. I mean, still with the in the comments, Doyle in a two versus a better side of eleven players could be a different story. Absolutely. Um. These are, let's keep uh, a level-headedness about this is still a young player as well, very much learning his craft. Stu, you're, you are, I wouldn't go as far as to say our resident witch doctor or anything as extreme as that, <laughs> but you do believe in curses and you do believe in like fate and things like that. Um, Scott playing 
for these um with all of the hype about it the transfer speculation and the drama about that was that the cop the nail in the coffin for Lopetegui etc 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 what did you make of his performance it's rare that we talk about an away player or well, sorry uh, the opposition players but you know the commentary very much set the stall out that he's not going to play 90 minutes it's his first premier league appearance not only a bournemouth senior you know appearance but what did you think of, of his performance and in the comments what did you think as well with all of the hype that had come about this player a shrug for the <laughs> audio people it's what performance he, he clearly wasn't fit mm. um he's trained this week shocked that he played to be honest um with such a bad injury that he had that kept him out for this long for the start of the season um signing injured players is all he's mental anyway so mm. you can kind of understand all that but no, he just didn't look right, and we capitalised on it because he's an. I really do think he's an excellent, excellent player, and I think we in time. I mean, if they go down, like I mean, they, they don't look great so far. If mm. they go down and we can get him even cheaper than we would have done last summer, then great. Um, because I really do think he's a special player. I know Dan doesn't, but from what I saw of him last season, he was better than what Doyle was for Sheffield mm. United. So we'll see. Okay. So, uh, Andy, you mentioned an almost instantaneous kind of reaction at halftime and no um, no more just desserts was the uh, was the goal. Uh, Cunha putting, uh, hushing everyone's mouths as Facebook, uh, sorry, WhatsApp groups across the land, I'm sure, were furiously typing, <laughs> hush our mouths. Um, well, Cunha with the goal, um, another assist for Neto as well. He was just in ridiculous form. For those who play Ultimate Team, he's kind of, consistency card come team of the season is going to be unreal because he won't get an inform all year but he'll get that card at the end of the year I guarantee it but the goal you know is there anything more satisfying than a change and a quick goal at the start of a half to kind of set the tone Andy for what's about to happen for the next 45 minutes it's perfect isn't it like I'd imagine as a manager you've made a change you've implemented a change in your team and had immediate results like, you must feel like the smuggest motherfucker in the world. Like, everything's come good for you at that exact moment. And it didn't take long at all, did it, for it to, for everything to start with his change, bringing on Doyle, it started there, to Neto, who's the man of the moment. And then he puts it into Kunya, who there were tweets being furiously deleted <laughs> as, soon as, uh, as soon as that hit the back of the net. And what a finish it was as well. Yeah, like it was slick as anything. He did really well with that, especially for someone who we know can be a little bit shot shy. Like we don't see him take that kind of shot all that often. And as soon as it left his boot, it was only going one place, and it wasn't even that far from the keeper. But it was hit with such pace, the keeper just had absolutely no time to react to it. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Again, with a cracking comment about put one on frame with pace is exactly right, and he's had easier chances this season and, and hasn't put them away. But um, Stu, absolute delirium in the stands, was it, for this one? Yeah, and the fact that it was Cunha as well. And like Andy and Sean have said there, he's not the one that you want this kind of chance to fall to from what we've seen so far. And But maybe that was it. Maybe because it was instinctive, that he didn't have time to think about it yeah. and to double-guess himself and mess it up in his own head, that maybe that's where this came from. And being instinctive, maybe that's the way forward now. Just lay it on a plate for him. Let him hit it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, moving on to the next major talking point of the game. Stu, you've been told, I'm sure, more than on a few occasions you've got a face that would like to be headbutted. Um, with that in mind, uh, Cook getting himself sent off for one of the, the most ludicrous, <laughs> ridiculous decisions. Of, uh, you know, it, they're already under the cost with the equaliser. Huang, you know, gets chopped down, fair enough, probably deserving of a yellow, the challenge. Um, in terms of Huang coming up, putting his chest in the way, to headbutt the player. I mean, a headbutt is strong, but to move your head towards in this modern game of a million 8K cameras and everything else, it's just it's just sheer lunacy, isn't it, Lou? Uh, uh, Stu? Yeah. Um, and that was, that was the confusion from my point, because when, when I said that Huang had been booked, and you all said, what has he? And I presume the camera had cut away at that point. Um but I, because where we were behind it, so I didn't see him pushing, push Cook in the chest. I just thought he stood up and then he nutted him. So I didn't see that part first until I watched Match today this morning. Um, but even so, you've hacked someone down. 
they're not going to be very pleased with you, are they? So you, when you get up and protest it, then fine. If you push someone, you're going to get booked as well. And we had six bookings again yesterday. That's We might be getting a fine again <laughs> through the post. Um, it's either six or seven. I can't remember what it is this season. But a push is a booking. Fine. Dive is a booking, which <laughs> you can say he did. But again, he made contact with Wang's face. However slight it was, it's a stupid, stupid thing to do. And it wasn't like it wasn't that kind of game. It wasn't like there've been like sly things in other than from them, as per usual, the dark arts FC that they are. Um, we haven't really been leaving the foot in and things like that. And it just came from nowhere. It didn't make any sense at all. And you could see it in his face that he knew what he'd done straight away. Mm. And you knew, oh well, I fucked up here. Um, and rightly so, he didn't. He didn't moan, which is which says it all. His teammates did, but he didn't. And it's what. Violent, violent conduct, so that's a three-game ban for him as well. Stupid, stupid boy. Really is. I mean, Andy, again, going talking about the opposition here, but I heard on uh, on TalkSport they surmised that, you know, it's frustration with the way they're playing, the manager that would make a player like this, you know, someone considered a professional, do uh, something as stupid as this. But if, it, if, if the equaliser hadn't changed the tide of the game, this certainly was going to, and it was just one of the most bizarre things I've seen all weekend. <laughs> Yeah, it's utterly just ridiculous. It's not like Cook is some young kid who's new to the Premier League. You know, he's been around, he knows the game. What a daft thing to do and leave your already beleaguered team a man down against a team who have just scored and now are in the ascendancy. Like, if you were the manager, you'd be absolutely fuming. But, like, the, the manager applauded him off. Like, you'd be fucking spitting fire at him for something that dumb. Mm. But, I mean, like Stu's pointed out several times just before, we know what Bournemouth are like. They enjoy the dark arts. I mean, was it Tavernia who threw himself in front of Kilman? Yeah. Pulled Kilman's shirt and dived to the ground to try and get him booked. I mean, luckily the ref could see what everybody else, apart from the commentators, could see. The commentators were talking like Kilman was about to get a red card. But, mm. yeah, they they enjoyed doing their silly bollocks that they often like to do, Bournemouth did. But I thought the ref had a really good game, generally speaking. I think the bookings probably were bookings, generally speaking. It, it wasn't a nasty game, but in the current plight of you can't do anything with their game books nowadays, I think he did fine. Yeah. Before we go to the break, we do, of course, need to talk about the winner from uh, Sasha Kalajic. Stu, keep your neutral head on as much as possible. Was it a foul in the build-up? What? Oh, when he fell over? <laughs> no, no, no. No, Wait, uh, if that was against Liverpool, you'd expect a foul, wouldn't you? Um, mm -hmm. Like how they miraculously survived going down to 10 men yesterday. Mm -hmm. Why? The same mm -hmm. game as... I couldn't believe it. We was we watched that game before and in the uh, in the ground, and it was just outrageous bias again. Um, but no, it, it it would have been very very soft. Um, and again, the player himself didn't protest, which tells you everything. Um, yeah. And there was kind of shrugs from them rather than running at the ref, which they'd all get booked anyway um, under rules. But there was no real moaning about it or anything like that. And not that we cared. It was it was. You said delirium for the equaliser. <laughs> it was mental times again. It was Everton levels um, mm. for things like that. I mean, I didn't even think think about it at all until we got back on the couch and there's a few people saying, how oh, do you think it was a foul? And I thought, what? I had no idea. Um, it never crossed my mind for a change. And I'm always at the, uh, with a keen eye on the VAR situation, but no, not for me. Fair enough. Andy, um, Kalajic, there's a graphic on the screen there. Five sub-appearances, 38 minutes, three shots, two goals, and a ratio of 19 minutes to a goal, which is quite <laughs> incredible, really. But it wasn't, you know, like a tap-in in terms of it wasn't, you know, an open goal. It's still a shot needed to be made, and, and it was finished quite nicely, wasn't it, in the end? Yeah, I think he's done really well from the beginning of the move where he's, you know, started the, the fight back to win the ball back. To then, obviously, making the run for Huang, who Huang, who put that really lovely, deft little pass over. Like, I don't feel like enough people have spoke about how good a, a ball into Kalajic that was. And then, obviously, he's one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. 
how many times have you seen people panic in that situation and things go wrong? But no, he kept his cool and he just slotted it in with, I say with ease, he made it look easy. Mm. But yeah, I thought it was a, a lovely finish and all around good work from everybody involved in it. Now, I know we're going to go to the break very, very shortly. I'll give you a chance to think about it through the break as well. But in one of the group chats I'm in, a poll was, I'm not going to give the answer to the poll, but a poll was made. Uh, Sean Crow says, I think him and Huang are the only ones that score that. I say this very quietly. Does Fabio score that goal, Stu? No. Of course he doesn't. Well, no. <laughs> Scratch that. He'd, co- he'd scored it for Portugal under-21s. But put him in a, in a gold, red or blue shirt, and it'd be wide, it'd be the keeper, it'd be over the bar. No. Not a chance. I'll tell you who scores it, Andy. Sarabia. Just waiting for someone to internally fume at the mere mention of his name, like Voldemort. He managed to look even worse than Joe Gomez did when we were playing against 10 men when he came on. He was awful, wasn't he? I just don't get it with Sarabia at all. He's, I mean, he's always on that Twitter account, the other 14. He's still high on like the chances created, I think, which is really baffling because he's barely kicked a ball for us since the first couple of weeks of the season. But whenever he comes on, he's an embarrassment of a footballer. <laughs> he, sh- he should not be anywhere near a first team. It's not good. Good grief. Well, on that uh, bombshell, we will take a very short break. For those listening along, your chance to pause and do something uh Proactive for those that are watching along, you've got as long as Cook had to get himself sent off a six-second gap before we come back. But when we do come back, we will be discussing individual performances, uh, Gary O'Neill's comments uh, post-game. And uh, speaking of Christmas, Stu, we want to talk about a little Christmas gift that the club, uh, well, the football, the Premier League are bestowing upon us as well. So we'll be back with you very shortly. This is an advertisement from Better Help Therapy Online. We all carry different stresses, big and small. It could be from work, stuff going on at home, or just from supporting a football team. You flatter to deceive, and as the bedsheets have always said, let us down. We often bottle up these stresses and try and keep a lid on them, but when you do that, it can start to affect you negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It gives you a place to get these things off your chest, get down to root cause, and figure out how to work through what's weighing you down. Therapy is there to help develop positive uh, coping skills. It's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. It's about empowering you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not look and give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners can get 10% off their first month using the code betterhelp.com slash wanderers. That's betterhelp.com slash wanderers. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Wolves Fancast. Thank you very much for those that are with us in the comments, listening along live, watching along live, or listening via your chosen podcast provider or on YouTube and the other platforms. Thank you very much again to Audi, our podcast uh, hosts and provider, and to Boston Coffee Company as well for their support. Um, going into individual player performances then, um, we've mentioned a couple of players already, Doyle, Cunha, we only mentioned Huang very, very briefly before the break. So, Andy, you mentioned his deft touch that he, um, he he got away with to help the goal, but a quieter game by his usual high standards for us recently. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's on a quite a rich vein of form. He's an in front of goal, and that didn't quite come off for him yesterday, but he still put himself about. He's still caused problems both with the ball at his feet or with someone's head in his head he was a thorn in their side and you could tell by the fact that every time he touched the ball their fans were booing him I know it was related to the red card but he was pissing them off all game and I feel like we've really lacked that kind of a player someone that everyone can hate and I've always wanted us to have someone like a Robbie Savage not Robbie Savage because he's a prick 
but someone <laughs> like that because it just galvanizes your team. And I feel like Huanga could be that man for us, someone that the opposition can hate and we can love all the more because of it. Mm. Stu, from your point of view, um, we've heard loads about he's called the ball and he's, you know, he's got this international stardom, you know, in his home country. But I think it's this season so far has been very much coming out party for him in the Premier League compared to, you know, I remember God when he, hoof the ball in the air to give Newcastle the equaliser. People <laughs> wanted his blood. Whereas now, obviously, um, it's a very, very different story. In the game, quiet as he was, still influential. And and that's what matters really, isn't it, for a team who are quietly sitting in, I think it's 12th in the table. Yeah. And he, that's the thing. He's not nasty, though. He doesn't do anything wrong. <laughs> he just He just antagonises people because he's a threat. And we didn't even mention the uh, the Harlem Globetrotters FC moment where Neto scored it over the bar, which would have been in the best goals of the season already. Um, that Wang was very much involved in with um, without Nuri and himself down that left hand side. But he's been, let's say, someone we, we needed to hate. He was hated here, like, like you just said. He was properly hated, and. To turn around this like he has, I can't remember the last time. I mean, when people sort of grew up and realised what football was and they didn't, they appreciated Andy Keogh for what he was in the end, he got a bit of turnaround, but not to the, the kind of hero worship that Wang gets now. I mean, it's a different level. And yeah. yeah, he was quiet, but he was still, he put his head where he could have got proper smashed by the keeper and he did get a bit of contact in the first half after that one off the bar. And he probably could have got an assist from the Neto one and he ended up with an assist anyway on a day that where he was relatively quiet compared to the last three weeks. So mm-hmm. for and scoring for his country as well. Yeah, it was a romp, but he still had to put it in the net and it was a brilliant finish there. Flying back, having no real time for training with the team and to still play like he did. Fair play to him, man. He's, he's superb. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very much, he, you know, he played as a seven out of 10 as opposed to like an eight and a half. Yeah. With, with mm. you know, yeah. still certainly it's no, um, it's not a slight on. I mean, it's just, it's just not. He just had a quiet, a quieter game than, than uh, the most, uh, most times we've seen him play this season. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, Neto, Andy, for you. I mean, I very much have been saying that our season is defined on how Neto and Huang stay off the injury table. Um, never mind. January transfer, I don't think that will be an issue for us. But Neto, once again, the the assist maker, and he's absolutely crucial. He's becoming a bit of a talisman for the team, something like um, kind of represents the energy of the team and doggedness as well. Yeah, he could be the face of Wolverhampton Wanderers currently, under its current guise, I think. You know, the evolution on from... Ruben Neves being our star boy. It feels like Neto's the next one, isn't it? He's been through the mill. He started off very young for us, did well. He's had a couple of bad years with injuries, and now it's all coming good for him. So, you know, everyone was talking about Alex Scott being the, you know, the, the, what the screenwriters would write about in this match, but actually it's not. It's, it's Neto. Neto is the one you make the film about when it comes to football in, you know, for Wolverhampton Wanderers. It feels like he's the one who's gone on the journey with the fans behind him. And it's great to see, like, we all love someone who's been through the mill and now looks, you know, a much better player. So, yeah, you're right. He's the talisman of the club. We've had a few of them over the last couple of years, but it feels like now's his time. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. Um, Welcome. A username I don't remember uh, or don't re- uh, recall seeing before, but James Yi Paratrooper, the Korean guy, he's keeping the team relevant kicking. <laughs> um, God, that I mean, he's that tagline is going to live with him for ages, thanks to Pep, isn't it? I mean, he's brilliant mm. to be fair, but um, we're all about balance on this podcast, absolutely. Stu, Doherty for you, people are <laughs> screaming saying how anybody could ever compare him to Nelson Samado is an absolute travesty. Um, where are you on this debate, thinking about the performance in this game as your starting point? 
I mean, he was shit, wasn't he? <laughs> it's, it's not even, it's not even gloss over it. He, if it had been role reversal, and Samado put this performance in, we would not have heard the last of it. The last twenty four hours, it was bad. I mean, you got to caveat that with he hasn't played a lot of football. It's his first start in the Premier League for a long time. Um, it's there of all places, which is, <laughs> it's not the easiest, um, the best of times. <laughs> For wing backs, and he did get side down as well a couple of times, which went completely unpunished, uh, which was odd. Um, but yeah, he was bad. <laughs> and, uh, anyone else who starts with, Oh, yeah, we should be playing Doherty over Nelson Tomato, you're either mentally ill, racist, or both. Um, because <laughs> it's it's just it baffles me beyond belief now because he, he's not the player he was under Nuno here, <laughs> he's far from it. He's coming back up, which is fine. Um, but he just didn't play with him very well. So Nelson just strolls back in. You had asked the question about Lamina next week. That's a, that's something for Dan to talk about on Thursday. But yeah, Nelson Semino drifts back into this, this team easily after that performance. Mm, I think um, I think you're on the money there. Speaking and uh, lovely segue, Stu. It's almost like you know uh, we've been doing this for years. But um, Dan, with the uh, the preview show later in the week and Gully's tactical analysis as well, will be all of the content you need over the week uh, on the build up towards uh, the next fixture against Newcastle. Um, now going into before we talk about uh, Gary O'Neill's. Um, Comments on the game, Andy. Any other players you want to give any mention, good or bad, to Saar? Didn't have a great deal to do, but had none of his um, moments of hero or zeroism either. It was a very much a, just a relatively normal run of day of the office for him, wasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty low key. Didn't have a lot to do. What did he have to do? He did with minimal fuss. It's what you want from a goalkeeper, to be perfectly honest. So, no arguments about uh, Saar. That's probably saved for two or three weeks time when he has his mad moment like he usually does um boobs i like boobs like i want to get that on a t-shirt we all i like yeah i like boobacar Traore. i think he's tremendous i think minute for minute this season he's been my favorite player whenever he's been on the pitch he's been tremendous i I thought he played really well again i know Stu mentioned mario lamina should he come straight back in i think he should but I think it should be for Gomez. I think we should see him and Bubakar Traore starting in the middle of the pitch next weekend. I mean, whether or not that lasts long term, I don't know. But more boobs for me, please. Absolutely. There's a T-shirt in the making if there ever was one. Um, going on to then, uh, moving on to Gary O'Neill's uh, comments. There's, there's a little video that we're going to pop, pop, pop up in a moment. Um, having a quick look here now at the uh, the comments. Uh, we've taken the lead quite a bit and have had to and had to be the side which sits and counters. Whereas today we took the game to them and I liked how the boys handled it. They needed a little break at half time to help them with a few things and show a bit more intent. But second half, they were excellent. Even before the sending off, I thought we were in complete control. I think that's a pretty fair assessment, isn't it, Stu? In terms of the second half at least. It if the game was going apart from Wolves doing a Wolves. The game was going all walls. I did think there was a moment in time where, where we all know where this is going and we were going to concede an equaliser, but we were pretty much in complete control, weren't we, especially in the second half. Yeah, and I think, like we alluded to earlier, the frustration with was probably one of the, the factors why Cook lost his mind. Um, because we were we had turned the screw and we were in the ascendancy and Fairfox, he got it completely spot on at half-time. He changed it. He did made the changes that were needed and there was a different intensity and look Wolves after international breaks are not the best <laughs> at, the, at the vast majority of the time in that in the Premier League um, under this era but things nearly changing we got through to half time like we had to and the credit goes to Gary O'Neill and the, I'll say it, I don't care um, he did well he did what was needed and Everything he said there was spot on because we were in control and there was only going to be one winner anyway. And I think there was a comment earlier about um, Tommy Dahl playing against 11. Well, he did for a bit and he was the best player on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy, I'm going to turn to you here now. As someone, um, and this it's us three, you're going to get a cage fighting podcast plug here. But <laughs> for... Uh, <laughs> For breaking the fourth wall, we need to speak. We need to speak about 
Gary O'Neill and his little look at the camera <laughs> when uh, talking about saying it's not about him. And I've got the clip here now. You will hear it if you're on the audio. They would have felt the same. So um, not about me, not about my old club, about a group of players. <laughs> that little side eye glance there. It's a bit like Ted Stryker in uh, Airplane, having a quick look at the at the camera there. But it's got to be sweet for O'Neill, isn't it? To, you know, uh, he doesn't want the occasion to be about him and everything else, but the circumstances in which he left Bournemouth and coming back um, and his team winning there, you know, some of the slight little comments on a massive club now and all these kind of things. It's just, it's pure beautiful shithousery, isn't it? He. He loved it, didn't he? Let's be honest. Like you said, that that little look to the camera, giving it the people's eyebrow, like he, <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing with that. And yeah, he didn't want the day to be about him, but ultimately it was always going to be all about him because, as you say, he left under very poor circumstances, having kept up a very poor team who then went and spent £100 million and joined Wolves, who were having to sell the kitchen sink to survive for another season, if you'd listen to certain pundits. And at the end of the day, he's left Bournemouth on four points, is it? Sat in 19th position when they were 1-0 up, and you know everything just went completely against them from that moment onwards. So yeah, he absolutely should be revelling in the fact of his shithousery. Fair play to him. He deserves it. I yeah, think, absolutely. Go, um, Alan Shearer summed it up when he said Bournemouth should be embarrassed by that decision. To That's right. Him. Every day, every single game that it's gone on since then, that decision looks even more baffling for them. And look, don't get me wrong, things could always go bad here for him. We, you know, it's still very early days. I can't say he's going to be a, a great Wolverhampton Wanderers manager. But he could have been a great Bournemouth manager given the time. Absolutely ridiculous decision. Yeah, again, about kind of getting balance. Um, Gary O'Neill's been criminally disrespected and now he's showing his class as a top manager. You know, the gone-gone-o-meter is firmly (laughs) amber to green at the moment now. Um, We'll give you the running count as the season goes on. Um, Mike Evans, the meme that I absolutely love, the barbecue is sizzling for him. Nobody <laughs> else, if, if you're not on X or Twitter, I'll be cold dead in the ground before I keep calling it X. Um, if, you, if you're not on that platform, you won't get the reference. But yeah, the barbecue certainly is um, is sizzling right now. If the other Neto doesn't puke up the ball, Gary's getting killed right now. It's a, an interesting take, to be <laughs> fair. Um, the other Neto, um, Brazilian, Brazilian Neto, he's Brazilian, isn't he? Um, if he didn't um, have a have a mind fart himself, you know, it's not to I say mean, we wouldn't have gone on to win the game. But people blame their keeper for making that pass. But Billing showed for the ball. Billing, yeah, I thought it. so. I thought this. so. It's not on the keeper. It's on Billing for fucking having a great game and then tripping over the ball in the 88th minute. This yeah, is like no, when it's, people. It's not on him. This, it's like when people have a go at Saar for him throwing the ball out to someone who asks for it. Yeah. It is, isn't it? This, <laughs> this is one of these, and I think Rob Cartwright. I don't know if you're going to put it in Twitter corner, but he did mention the uh, if the gonometer was the uh, worst thing we've ever done, and <laughs> I didn't do it, but I slagged him off more than anyone else. <laughs> and again, I'm not going to apologise for it because I was right. He he had an awful start, and the, until we went to a back foot three five. This team would go nowhere. <laughs> We've gone back to what they know. Look what happens. But like I said earlier on, on Twitter X, credit where it's due. You look at the, that points return since that started. Superb. And mm. <laughs> he changed things when it, things weren't working. And until that moment against Man City, he hadn't really showed anything as a manager that could say he was a top-class manager. He'd done well at Bournemouth with a bad, bad squad, and as it's proving now how bad they are. Um, and then you look at Villa just scoring goals for fun, and then we, it looks like he makes that draw against some couple of weeks ago even better. So mm. he's he, by every week that goes by, he looks better and better. And, and again, he's growing as a manager. He's growing here in front of our eyes. And... Mm. Yeah. There's got to be hiccups. But until that point, when that tweet went up, he hadn't proved anything. He hadn't proved anything. And what Dan or Rich, whoever did it at the time, put up 
that thing was a reaction to what people were saying online that he was bad, that he had to go, that I said he was the worst manager in the league. Obviously, <laughs> there's two worse. Um, but we only we could only work with what we were going with. And mm. at that point in time, it was a reaction to what a lot of people were saying, not just us, but we were the only ones on Twitter who had the bollocks to do it. There's some that's... fantastic comments coming in in the in the thing. I'm going to give a chance to give a chance to open the floor here. Danny P, I'd like to know what the worst thing the fan cast has ever done. Um, the Johnny, the Johnny uh, heart broken heart thing ranks pretty high up there. <laughs> but Peter, Peter Yamya might have already have suggested it. Um, only fan cast. Um, will you ever do a membership? Um, hey, listen. I'll make a book any way I can. So just show, show me the money, honey. Um, Stu, you mentioned um, the points return. And uh, looking at the league table, Wolves sitting quietly in 12th at the moment. 11 points. I might, I may or may not be right here, but I think four points is the relegation zone at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, seven points ahead, not getting away um, from the fact that we've played some one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult fixture list, I think, according to statisticians. Um, so at this point in the season, I think we've got to be happy with the points return, haven't we, Andy, I think? Absolutely. I said to someone on Twitter, I refuse to call it that other word, um, the other day that like I think we can't really judge Gary O'Neill until after the Sheffield United match because it was such a ridiculously difficult start to the season. By the time we get to Sheffield United, we'll have had a run against the top and we'll have had a run against the teams we expect to be towards the bottom. So we'll get a true picture at that point where that season's going to go. And I think that is that is that 11 games in, 11, 12 games in at that point? Court, so I, yeah. 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 So I think that would be the right time to judge him on it. Um, did I think we'd done 11 points looking at the fixtures we had? Probably. Did I think we'd have beat Man City in one of those, though? <laughs> Almost certainly not. So I don't think he's done a terrible... Uh, sorry, I don't think he's done a, a, like a fantastic job. I think he's done what I would have expected of this group of players. Mm. And, I mean, like that, that's not to knock him and say that he's been terrible because you've still got to get those players motivated to go out there and do that. We've seen very good clubs get relegated in the past before. It's just the way that football works. So the fact that he's come in and done what is expected of him, like, you know, doth the cap to him, I think he's done a, a good enough job so far. Yeah, I think the only caveat I'd say to that, to slightly talk him up a bit, is the circumstances of his arrival very much made it a more difficult job than it needed to That's be fair. if he had been given a proper pre-season. Stu, do you think he'll be back in January? You know, Fosun have very much, we've survived that spite in the Premier League under Fosun a lot of the time. You know, if they see us around 10th to 13th come January, there's no need to throw the kitchen sink at it in, in January like it was last year, it will be the justification for them. Does he get given any money in January, do you reckon? No, <laughs> not a chance. Um, and, well, look what happened last year. They in sheer desperation, went against their own policy, but spunked all that money in, and then we had to sell people to, to kind of claim it back because they weren't going to continue with their investments. So mm -hmm. to go back on that, and and I know there's been um, talks from different people saying that there is money to spend. There's always money to spend. They just won't do it. Um, and I think if you look at his, I think it's, I would say at least around about 46 points. If you look at uh, games, points per game ratio at the minute, that'll put you around about 12th at the end of the season anyway, the way things have gone the last few years. So I wouldn't have thought so. Um, mm. But again, where are we going to need to invest really if if these players carry on the way they are? And I know obviously injuries and everything else, but other than that, other than Neto being crocked forever and Huang being decapitated then you ain't gonna we ain't gonna be splurging money for no reason again they'll just they'll come up with the the usual faults and things of oh well there was no value in january like there was last year and blah 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 um i don't expect anything now mm, fair well we'll move on uh, as we wrap up there just to a little bit of uh speaking of the january window a, a christmas gift potentially from the um from the organizers of the premier league um Wolves fixture with Chelsea earmarked for Christmas Eve. 
not very Christmassy at all from um, from the fixture makers there. Um, it's a difficult <laughs> one, this. For a lot of people, they're already be off, but people want to see family. They want to do other things. It's, it does feel like a bit of a Scrooge move, doesn't it, Andy, to have a game on Christmas Eve like that? Just before I get to it, I can just imagine how giddy you are that you've managed oh. to squeeze in a peep oh, show. Quote. It wasn't even him. <laughs> it was it's the best thing about it. It was, um, <laughs> it was our resident cardigan Devara Rich, I believe, who put this one in. Um, Outstanding. Yes, it is. Uh, but it, but, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it doesn't it feel like a bit of a a bit of a bit of a shit house move to have a game on Christmas Eve, or am I overthinking it? I mean, Christmas Eve for me is is getting pissed with pals and. Seeing, I mean, I've been to Planet on a Christmas Eve on more than one occasion mm. and woke up hungover. So, add football into the mix sounds great to me, but I might be in the minority. Like, I don't know, because the problem is when you go to football, it's not just the two hours that you're at the football, is it? It's the best part of a day that you spend during the match. And when it comes to Christmas Eve, like you say, you do have, like, a lot of people do have other commitments that they also need to do. And, like, I, I don't want to be sexist here. But when I used to work in retail, there was always a lot of guys doing last minute shopping on uh, <laughs> Christmas Eve, trying to get all that stuff in. So there are things that are going to be at play during that day that it's just going to make it a little bit more difficult than what you would hope for on a, a Christmas Eve. I mean, if we win, none of us will be moaning, will we? Let's be honest. But from this point on the 22nd of October, it's not something I particularly look forward to, if I'm honest. Mm. I thought you were going to say something about pre preparing the meals for the men the next day, then Andy. When you when you said well, um, <laughs> well, that, I suppose in one thing we won't be under the the, the ladies' feet. We'll wait till they can get on with the cooking, and everything will be fine. Man's world. There we are. There's your fan cast statement for the week. Um, I was very much in the kind of going the other way and thinking of other people because obviously for, for us in our relatively middle age. Um, it's fine for us, and it's fine for a lot of the vast majority of single blokes who've got no problem with this. But people <laughs> with families, you um, take the Chelsea fans out of it because Chelsea, whatever. But the point is, not all Wolves fans live here. They don't live mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. a four-mile radius where you can walk to town if you really have to. A lot of people are going to be relying on transport, which is awful anyway because this country's a joke. And... Christmas Eve is a ridiculous time to get go anywhere, let alone travel to a game and then get home, which is going to be the more of the problem than anything else. Getting home on Christmas Eve, even if it is one o'clock kickoff, which they're saying it is going to be, just for the fact of a few thousand people watching it on Sky, because who's going to watch football on Christmas Eve? It's not going to be, I know that we get, what, 200, 300,000 max normally. And I know you throw in the Chelsea factor, but you ain't going to get millions of people sitting at home or in the in the pubs where they'll be in the pubs anyway. So mm. they're not going to be watching watching the telly like you're watching Blackburn against I don't know Coventry on a Friday night or something like that. It's background noise. You ain't going to go through all this trouble just to go just to get a few hundred thousand people watching on on a Sunday, which you don't normally have viewers. It's ridiculous. And I was speaking to a lot of people yesterday about it, just out of curiosity. Not one person who went. I mean, that's, you're thinking the hardest of hardcore going to Bournemouth. It's a way seeing ticket holders, gold and silver. Eventually, not many people want this happening, mm. and that's that's people who, who travel who are getting up at six in the morning to go down there. Not that if then people don't want it, you, you ain't going to get Chelsea fans wanting it either. A lot of Wolves fans, not in our situation, of course, but people who are with families who have other commitments. Some people will have work, like you said, and the people who work retail, who it's the busiest time of the year. Mm. Yeah, I know someone said that we, we did used to play that years ago, but we used to eat spam as a fucking treat years ago as well. We can't we can't be having that. I think I think this was in 1955 as the thing, as the last time playing on Christmas Eve. It's not what we used to play on Christmas Day, like and then Boxing Day the next day. It doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> It's it's 2022. You can't be playing on Christmas Eve. It's a stupid, stupid idea. And I think there's a reason why the Premier League announced one set of fixtures for December, when normally, at this time of year, if you go back and check, normally they'd put December and January out last week. So everyone could plan, but they didn't. They released the one set of fixtures for the first week of December. Then this idea exclusively slipped out so they can get all the feedback and all the nonsense about it. 
And then they say, oh, it's going to be released early next week. We know exactly why. They were testing the water, and hopefully this has backfired massively against them. And, and this gets kiboshed because it's stupid. Well said, Stu. Well said indeed. It will be a Christmas miracle, uh, hopefully. It won't uh, happen on Christmas Eve. But we're, of course, on Fancast Are your one-stop shop for all things Wolves. And like I mentioned earlier, um, there's plenty of content to keep your toes tickled on the build-up to the Newcastle game with the preview show and uh, Goody's tactical analysis as well of this fixture to whet your whistle going into this tie against uh, Eddie Howe's men who come to Molyneux. Um, big thank you to everybody that's listened along, for everybody in the comments. As usual, you um, you make this a really fun experience reacting to all of your comments as well. So thank you very much. Hope everybody's enjoyed it. For those that listen on later in the week, hope you've enjoyed it too. Thank you very much to Audie um, for being our podcast uh, provider as well. Andy, Stu, thank you very much for being my dancing partner i hope you've uh, had a good time here as we've exercised the demon that is bournemouth once and for all um have a great week everybody andy if you want to say bye to the uh to everyone merry christmas everybody shu <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to say uh, bye to everybody yeah goodbye everyone and uh, take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. It's getting to that funny old time of the year where it's getting like dark early. It's getting a bit miserable and cold. Um, if you need to reach out, reach out to us at Fancast. If you're having a struggling, there are plenty of support out there as well. Um, we are all in this together in this weird and wonderful world. So always uh, look after your pals. Have a great week ahead and we will see you very, very shortly. <laughs> Who would be a Wolves fan, eh? <laughs>